0: And I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions. It's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves, and to help our companies Take on different strategies. Pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you gotta have great tasting food. You gotta have great tasting beverages. Package goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're gonna lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands, some CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're gonna find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week, but I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. I have just gone through a big life change. Um, After 20 years in Atlanta, in one of the suburbs, my wife uh, and I had the brilliant idea that uh, now that we're downsizing, we thought maybe we'll get out of the city, go find some land, go do something a little bit different. And well, so we sold our home. And the past couple weeks has been absolutely uh, challenging, a lot of tension put on. If you've ever gone through a move, you know just how stressful and how much tension-filled moments you have, but we have successfully launched ourselves out (laughs) of the uh, northern suburbs, and we are now in a small town. This is kind of a a temporary residence for us, a small town up in western North Carolina. The reason I tell you this is because I'm noticing there are very few restaurant chains up here Uh, coming from Atlanta. It's QSR food service galore. So many choices, so many options up here. It's quite limited. And the, the QSRs that I am aware of, I know they're struggling. They're having issues with, with people, you know, the hours are, are certainly limited. And I thought, Uh, I really wanted to kind of do more of a deep dive into QSR, really to understand um, what is happening within the industry. I know there are very well-known infrastructure companies that are designed to support and help QSRs. Infrastructure companies exist To support major industries. The reason they're infrastructure is that they're kind of unknown, unseen a lot of times to many of us. And this is what was fascinating to me is that I actually have joining me today, Jeff Keisel. He's the CEO of Restaurant Technologies, and they are one of the, if not the, preeminent infrastructure companies for uh, the QSR space and food service. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you consider yourself infrastructure. That was just kind of how I was thinking of it. Is that, uh, is maybe you you have a, a sexier term, uh, partner for these companies? But I, to me, it seemed like you were infrastructure, you know, su- supporting help.
1: Tony, I think infrastructure is uh, how we're looked at. We're private equity backed, and um, that's how they look at us as an infrastructure business. And um, you know, infrastructure because we have depots, we have trucks, uh, we sell on contracts, uh, so it's very predictable business. It's kind of unique in the fact that we do grow significantly faster than a, a typical infrastructure investment. That's how investors look at us. Our customers also look at us as infrastructure. Uh, we put equipment into our customers, be it our cooking oil management system, or we also automate the cleaning of hood flus and fans. But we own that installation. I and see. we make sure that we service it
0: 24-7. I see. Well, for those, so because it is an infrastructure, and I just wanted to make sure I was framing it the right way for the listener, so they understood what we were going to be talking about today. Um, I'm very familiar, but let's, um, you know, let this. Let's just kind of pause here before we jump into our main theme. You know, what are the challenges within QSR and how, you know, what kind of solutions are being created around that? You know, tell us just a little bit about restaurant technologies. What is your your purpose, uh, your mission, so people can get a better feel for that, Jeff?
1: Sure. What we do is we eliminate the worst jobs in the back of the house of a kitchen or any, any food service, uh, industrial kitchen. And the two uh, main products that we have are total oil management, eliminates the hassle and the dangerous job of managing cooking oil. Our other product, AutoMist, automates the cleaning of the hood flues and fans in restaurants, predominantly QSR and casual dining. And our purpose is to be an innovative supplier to allow our customers to win by eliminating uh, the worst jobs in the kitchen so that their employees, their crew, their staff is serving customers and not worrying so much about uh You know, really doing some lousy jobs that are required for a a, a restaurant to serve their customers.
0: You know, I had never really thought about it that way. Gosh, I'm blanking his name. Mike, is it Mike Rowe? Who was it? You know, the world's dirtiest jobs. What is that? I forget that program, you know, where I mean, but, you know, oil really is at the heart of these companies,
1: it is. It's the second most profitable products come through the fryers. The first are the, the fountain drinks. And so it's important. It's also one of the most expensive commodities that they purchase. And we want to help them reduce their costs. We want to help our customers use less oil. We want to help our customers um, also, you know, honestly, they hedge their fresh oil with the used cooking oil as well. So we're looking at cost savings through hours of reduct- reduced work, safer work, and then the sustainability part also allows them to hedge the fresh oil by us giving them credits for the used cooking oil.
0: Well, and I know you mentioned sustainability, and that is definitely something I want us to touch on because I did see a fascinating news release, but we'll get to that in a minute because that is a uh, a really interesting opportunity that you have embarked upon with uh, sustainability and reusing that that cooking oil. But, you know, I was thinking about what happens back in the kitchens and many, you know, everybody knows, you know, I I run a uh, a food and beverage uh, search firm, but I'm inside of a large staffing company and staffing companies get involved with some of the toughest jobs that manufacturers have. And the big issue when we go to talk to a new customer is workers comp and you're on the front lines of essentially reducing the workers' comp you know, for these QSRs. Just how big of a, of a line item can that be?
1: Yeah, good point. Um, so our tagline is safer, smarter, sustainable solutions for our customers. The, we really, have, over the last year, have worked very hard with insurance brokers to go back and get reduced premiums when we put in our cooking oil system. The slips, falls, um, managing oil is pro- is the, the largest contributor to uh, workers' comp claims in a kitchen. So it slips, it falls, it's back sprains from carrying a 35 pound jug of oil, lifting it up, pouring it in. Uh, if you're not using your PPE, chances are you're going to get uh, 350, 375. Degree oil splashed up on uh, your arm, which is a typical. You know that happens, and then uh,
0: is that how hot it is? About three seventy-five. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then on the back of back of it, you know, carrying the hot oil and pouring it back into a dumpster. Uh, you know, bad news happens. You're propping open the back door. If it, it's at night, you're you're putting your employees at danger of somebody coming in, uh, lifting up uh, a, a bucket of. Hot oil, even after it's cooled, it's still gonna weigh a bunch, and you have to tip that in so you know all throughout the cycle of managing fresh oil, manually handling fresh oil through used cooking oil is a worker's comp nightmare
0: yeah, it is, and I was just thinking about the heat i mean i love um I love cooking, and I've got those little uh mesh. Uh, little toppers that I'll put down, you know, on top of my frying pan to try to reduce it. And, you know, you're cooking, you know, beef or something like that, and it pops, it hits your arm. Um, it's, it's, it's no joke. So I can't even imagine what it, what it feels like for those people who actually get burned with that. So yeah, you are really filling a huge need. Um, well, before we kind of get into our, our topic, I really, I, I want you to talk to us a little bit about this uh, partnership with Chevron Renewable energy group. I saw this and I, I was just fascinated by it because I've had a lot of other companies on that are working in that reuse space um, and that upcycling and the circular economy. And you guys, here, you're literally doing it as well. So what what is going on with this uh, used oil? Well, Tony, I wish I was smart enough to come up with the circular business model framework. Oh my God, we'd make it's,
1: a fortune. Gorgeous- it's the hottest thing going right now. It is. So yeah, we're, we, we are uh, a circular business and described as you know providing a, a, a raw material, helping it get used. Our customers use the fresh oil. We take away the used cooking oil and then put it into green diesel or biodiesel. And we've done that for a decade. And so we have, uh, there is such a thing as very high quality used cooking oil. Which sounds like an oxymoron, but it ours does. is.
0: But because be never.
1: <laughs> we, we filter it a couple of times before it actually gets taken away to the refiner. We also uh, limit the exposure to any sort of moisture. So because we store it inside in tanks, so it never sees the um, you know e- external environment. And um, the next level, you know, we our refiner customers, Reg and Chevron Reg, now. Would take the oil from our 41 depots to their refiner. Now, or we've taken it one step. So maybe this is a recircular uh, Right, 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 point. right. Because now we're we're using our own used cooking oil derived green diesel into our own trucks uh, in Des Moines, where um, we'll we'll actually go by the refiner and pick up the oil, uh, refill our tanks, and off we go. And we're going to look at other areas, other cities, to do that. You know, in partnership with our, you know, biodiesel partners.
0: I I just think that is um, a really clever, smart way. Um, was that? Did you have to go through any kind of like a retrofitting, anything like that, for the for the for your own fleet? Or
1: we we, we did not. The uh, especially well, that's with good. Green. So you
0: didn't have this extra capex. You could just yeah. That's good. That's correct. That's correct, especially with green diesel that that acts exactly
1: like um, fossil fuel diesel. Okay.
0: Well, that's super clever. So the next thing we're going to hear is uh, you know Restaurant Technologies is going to start selling this. No, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the venture capitalists the the uh, PE group would certainly love an extra revenue line coming in too. <laughs> they sure would. We would too. But I think uh, it's a little bit out of our. That's a little bit out of your, uh, a little bit out of your scope. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned at the top, you know we we've moved into this new town. There's not a ton of, not a ton of QSR. Lots of problems, lots of challenges facing these guys. Um, well, you're the industry expert here, so talk to us. What's going on right now in, in the world of of QSR? What are you seeing?
1: Well, there's, uh, number one, it's a labor shortage is the number, number one issue. Uh, folks, uh, choo- or choose not to work in some environments. And some of that is they, it's a lot, it's a hard work to work in QSR. So it is, uh, you see less 24, seven stores, you see less store, you see stores opening up only certain hours of the day and you're paying more for labor. So attraction and payment of the labor is a challenge. The, um, and we, we can help that by eliminating some of the bad jobs. So labor shortage is one labor is, is expense is the other. And, uh, you know, the solution for that is to make labor more efficiently. You know, so the crew, how do they, how, how they become more efficient? And you're seeing automation in ordering. You're seeing automation in the back of the house with our types of products. You're seeing automation to have less waste. So if you're paying more for labor, you've got to cut cost elsewhere which leads into the other challenge of commodities that are significantly you know, higher than they were in the past. And so the importance of what, what we do to help that is, when we deliver fresh oil, we credit and meter how much used cooking oil we take away. And what that does, you know, we try to talk to our customers, and what's your net oil expense? And so we, we try to hedge, they're actually hedged because we sell the used cooking oil for a percentage of soybean oil. And so we're able to match that up and uh, reduce their net cost each week. So, labor, commodities, uh, other supply chain issues. Uh, you, you can see the reports on broadline distributors are having a hard time getting full orders to their customers where they used to be 90, 90% efficient, you know, certain times uh, of uh, during the past 18 months, it's slipped to 80 to 70 and some 60% through no fault of their own. They just can't get the commodities. And so, um, you know, that's a challenge. You know, you know we, we very narrowly distribute really just one thing. So, you know, we uh, feel good about that with the, with the way we source and, uh, you know, buy ahead. We haven't had those issues, but they are a challenge for the industry.
0: Well, you know, I think it's interesting because you're, you literally are in the back of the house of tens of thousands of these restaurants. So you must see kind of the best examples of automation and efficiency. Um, Do you kind of get into those kind of partnering or kind of conversations with other customers? I mean, it would seem kind of natural that you could share, you know, some of the best practices.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting, Tony. We've, uh, We've had, had conversations that nothing's come to fruition, but to, to the benefit of our customers, having a lot of information in a dashboard in one spot would be helpful. Right now, what we do is we really help them how much oil they're using, how much food goes through the fryers, uh, how often are they filtering the fryer. That's information that we provide our customers as part of our service. That's very valuable to them. So I think when I think about what you just, your question, okay, what's the efficiency of the dishwasher? What's the, you know, is the oven temperature always right? Is all of that information, boy, is there above the house snapshot for our customers that they, they I think they'd love that. I think the closest thing, um, the, the, we get great feedback on the information we provide them. You know, it'd be interesting to see if we couldn't uh, piece that together to, to help them you know, have, have more information above the house so people can manage better.
0: Yeah. And you talk about automation, and we're all, obviously we're all seeing automation at different points. I, I guess I would have expected to see more automation. I guess I, I guess there is such a maybe a long break-even point for the general, you know, QSR automation that maybe it's it still hasn't been fully adopted yet. I, I'm not sure. What's your take on that?
1: My take is, it's it, it. there is not a long tail, Tony. The tail is the fee you charge for that month had better be a break even. Otherwise, you know, QSRs are so tight, they're not going to do it.
0: I see. So, so you have it. to bake it in right away. You don't, it's a short tail as you put it. Completely. Yeah. Where, where do we, I mean, where do you think we're going to see more automation? Is it going to be more back of the house or do you think we're going to see those kind of front-end kiosks?
1: I think you're going to see a combination of both. Uh, I think the kiosk and the investment on the front end of uh, ordering was really kind of the, the wow factor. And, you know, e- you know, it does reduce labor, but there's also a wow factor. And, you know, if you look at uh, the younger generation, they, they, they just assume, you know, pound on a keyboard or a touch panel, then talk to somebody. The other one is now we're seeing more evolution into the back of the house, everything from systems to make sure that you're getting the maximum use uh, use of the. I mean, you're eliminating food waste, right? Products like ours where you're eliminating hours uh, of service, and um, so I think that path is just going to continue. You see, you know, robots. You see a whole bunch of other stuff that um, it's in its infancy.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated to see how that goes. We've seen all kinds of little interesting kiosks that are popping up that are automated. And I think it's, to me, it sounds a little trendy, you know, where you can go up and kind of watch the robot make your food. I don't know how long, I don't know how sustainable that is. I don't know. I think it's, I think it would be kind of fun to bring the kids by. They get to watch, (laughs) you know, uh, a robotic arm, you know, throw a pizza in the air. But I think that, I think QSR probably needs something a little more. Uh, A little more sustainable. One of the things that I know you guys really focus on is, you know, trying to hedge uh, inflation. And obviously, with you guys having the the second most um, profitable section with with the fryer oil, can you guys buy in bulk and do some kind of a a shared resource out across the network? I'm just curious, how does that work? We do. If
1: uh, customers want us to buy for them, contract. That's a service that we offer. Okay. And yes, bundling—you know—all the buy that we have for our independent and regional, let's call it—you know—folks that uh, don't invest in hedging and all that—it's a great
0: service. That yeah, they get I, I would of. imagine so because you—you brought the point up. Everything is, you know, inflating. So where can you find those areas of reduction, right? I mean, OSHA fines alone are what—I don't know—ten, ten, thirteen thousand dollars per you know, violation is so, I mean, you've got to find ways.
1: Well, we do. So the, when we look at rising costs all across, um, the insurance premium play is very important, uh, for us, you know, workers comp, uh, average workers comp claims $42,000. You know, we eliminate uh, a few of those a year, then the mod numbers is going to go down and, you know, hopefully pay less than the premium. So that's a, again, that's a service that we offer, uh, to our customers. We, we uh, ask for their information and we partner them up with uh, a broker that, probably their own broker, just to uh, make sure they understand the value that we bring to them. As far as the OSHA finds a lot of the, the things that we can help minimize is uh, OSHA finds are when, you know, cooking oil, any sort of grease gets into the water system. And we eliminate any of that coming from the fryer because it's a closed loop system. You know, if there's other areas off the grill, et cetera, we can't help there. But um, we, we do, you know, look for any opportunity. Uh, the other one is macadam costs. If you don't, if you're Wait, used you say? You Macadam or hardtop uh, costs. So literally I the black. I
0: my, uh, my ignorance.
1: Yeah, the black, you know, just uh, the, um, uh, the parking lot. So if you use cooking oil splashes around when you're pour- pouring it on, you know, that's a mess. It, it smells, but it also starts to break down the macadam, and, you know, that gets to be repaired So there's a bunch of tiny little things, Tony, that add up. Yeah. Uh, depending on how people operate and then how they operate with our systems in there.
0: Yeah, again, this is the stuff behind the scenes that no one has any idea, you know, that is going on. Well, what I'm finding, and this is, This shows up with a lot of brands is that the the brand is involved in a sustainability initiative and the consumer, they want to participate in some way. And the concept is basically, I really, you know, I support what they're doing, but I, the consumer, I don't have time to do that. So I am going to purchase the product knowing that I'm doing good through this other company. So consumers are getting smarter and they're wanting to spend dollars with people who are helping them feel like they're meeting these other challenges and needs. With the sustainability um, initiatives that you have been running, are we seeing a a smarter consumer kind of making choices? Because I don't know that I've seen this, you know, oil conversation to the consumer do we do you expect anything like that
1: yeah great question tony the, the we're on the cusp we're at, we're at the first inning of telling our esg story as a company we'll be publishing our first esg report later this year uh we do have some great customers that utilize and mention us in their esg reports shake shack is probably the most prominent one they said due to shake shack yeah.
0: They're great. They're God, great, food. Some great burgers
1: and they, they've got a great culture too. It just, they're just, they're fun to have as a customer. Uh, but you know, they have, they mentioned restaurant technologies and the fact that we, we eliminate single use plastic jugs and we calculate how many Lance, Lance, uh, uh, you know, dumping area is eliminated. There's a lot of cardboard and a jug and a box that's all eliminated uh, there's efficiency in how we uh,
0: distribute the cooking oil. So they're starting to mention that. I haven't noticed that. Um, yeah. I know it. they have some uh, messaging, I know, in the stores. They have it on some of their tabletops. They have some things stamped in there. I don't I – don't, I'm trying to remember what, what it said. But I, I did get the feeling that they were a little more conscious of that. Yeah. So you they say, are. kind of first inning. So we probably should uh, expect to see more. Promoted. You should. You
1: know, one of the things we had to make sure that uh, the customers that we sell through our customers, QSR, casual dining customers, we we have to make sure that we're measuring ourselves to improve. And so that's number one. Let's make sure that we're calculating our impact over the next decade and what our goals are. Now we're going to take that and uh, show it to our customers, and we are starting to have early conversations. With their ESG teams and our ESG leader to say, okay, how can we work together to educate your customers, the consumer, that hey, you know, you're not only getting good food, but you're actually doing something good for the planet as well.
0: Well, you you mentioned how you've got your own fleet now showing up in uh, where, where did you say was it Des Moines,
1: Des Moines, Iowa, and then we're looking at a few other cities closer. So Would to- that
0: be interesting if you had QSR clients? Um. Having their their other vendors go and use that oil for their biodiesel needs. I mean, you could just see all the different. T- Tony, were you in our strategic discussion recently? What the heck you? Goodness You've just discovered my superpower. I did. I did. I'm just a curious fellow. That's all. Good. So yeah, that, that's, that's obviously in talks then. Good. Yeah.
1: We, it, it's, uh, it is. It's, uh, it's one, one of those value adds that is going from a nice to have to, you know what, let's be a parody or better than somebody else and talking to the community. We, we have uh, a, a lot of college and university uh, folks, and that's critical in who they do business with. So that, that is, has a lot of momentum.
0: There is such a pressure on businesses today to be different, better, and special. And I'm thinking, you know, why did the private equity firm invest in you guys? They've got all kinds of choices out there. So you automatically now have to have the mindset every day. How are we going to be different, better, and special and innovate? So- How do you guys make those kind of strategic decisions? Because a lot of shiny objects will come by, right? Right. And you have to have a system where you flush the bad ones out. So talk to us a little bit about how you you kind of sort through those those ideas, Jeff.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Different, better, and special. That's a nice phrase that you use in your podcast. So as far as our brand, the difference is – the, the core business that we're in, you know, the circular economy, you know, and we have, we have other parts of that, that, you know, reduce workers' comps, make, make the job easier and better for our customers, employees. That difference is we need to get crisper and talking about that, but that's just naturally in our business model. You know, we, we, from a uh, raw material use, reuse, and then again, reuse even within our own trucks. But I think culturally, um, That we're better as an employee. I'll tell you a story about COVID, but I think we want to help our customers have a better environment for their workers. And that's something that's really critical to us internally as restaurant technologies. We want to be the employer of choice. We want people to come as they are. We want people to know that regardless of race, creed, color, gender, sexual orientation, you can win at restaurant technologies. And we, we, um, have worked hard at that during COVID. Um, Being Minneapolis-based, the George Floyd incident, the murder of George Floyd was not too far for where many of us live. And we learned through that process that having an inclusive and diverse employee base by not having problems or any issues does not mean that you are the employer of choice for diversity and inclusion. No problems is not the answer
0: i see you
1: know having um folks come as they are and everybody has an equal shot at being successful is the answer so when we think of better we think internally first because we're a service business if we are highly engaged within restaurant technologies working as a well-oiled machine being ourselves
0: no pun intended how often have you said that what's that well-oiled machine. Come on. That, that's, like, <laughs> that's, that's a you good You didn't one. even know you said that, did you? I didn't.
1: I didn't. But anyway, so that, that's, uh, that, that's the better and special part is we want to yeah. do that uh, internally and get that externally.
0: Well, you have to practice what you preach. Otherwise, it is hollow. It is seen right through. If you're not genuine, I'm sorry. Uh, they're just placards on the wall. You know, there's something interesting going on in Minneapolis. There's the uh, tech stars and all the, the startup companies there. There's a, a huge incubator group up there. There's all kinds of, you know, new ideas and um, money that's being infused. I've had some companies on that started in in Minneapolis. So you've got a, a really good um, kind of fertile bed of of investment money and ideas and businesses, so I would think that kind of creates a good labor pool for you up there as well to to kind of work within as you build your company. Yeah, we do. We do have good
1: local employees, and it's um, and we do have a great source of uh, engineers, product managers, um, commercial folks. So yeah, we we feel very fortunate to be headquartered where we are.
0: Yeah, that's great. We love that area of the country. We just can't bring ourselves to go up there in January is the problem.
1: <laughs> I was How do y'all do it? I mean, your summers are
0: gorgeous. How do you do? Come on. Do, do you just have pictures of the summer that you just look at when it's 12 feet of snow outside of your you know, snow drift? What do you do? You
1: know, sometimes you just have to suck it up and put it on another layer and just have fun. <laughs> <Suck it up. laughs> and, then, and then, Tony, you have a short memory uh, when you get to... Uh, uh, February, March, and just kind of say, okay, we got to get
0: out here for a little bit. Jeff, as we um, wrap up, I, I know you've started your career at GE. Did you get a chance to meet um, Welch, Chuck Welch?
1: Again, I did. So I was in meetings with Jack Welch probably six times a year. And uh, it was part it, of a- I, a I got sort of a round
0: robin, robin for you. So you got any um, Welch-isms? Is that even a word? <laughs> um what is it the what's something that really stood out for you with him because I I always remember I I just uh as a as a headhunter I've talked to a lot of XGE folks and I remember he had the red green yellow system where people were always constantly being forced to move around the organization and I really love that it was grow people grow people grow people up and out up and out that that always stood out to me about one of his systems in those meetings it was
1: uh, the challenge of you know what else did you think about this did you think about this his preparation was always great and his intellect to connect the dots you know having a the broad portfolio of businesses that ge was in he could take an idea he talking to somebody from appliances or aircraft engine. I was in plastics and GE Capital in my career. And next thing you know, he's connecting a dot there that we never would have thought of. And then it would be, okay, what are you gonna do about it? And then the memory that you run into him two months later and it would be Jeff, whatever happened to that? The other, other, so that memory, uh, the other one is the customer orientation. So if he was going to a CEO meeting, and he was going to run into somebody in that would be a plastics customer. You know, he may just get it, send a, this was before uh, email. So he may just send a fax and say, do you need anything from a meeting with the CEO of McDonnell Douglas? Okay. So the answer, I'd be, I'd, a note back, um, we sell to a supplier of McDonnell Douglas, the plastic that is the canopy for the F-16, you know. Just you know, a note. You know, I would just yeah, say, right, that. just
0: extra information for them.
1: You got it. And uh, so it was uh, intellectually curious, and then you know, managing a a portfolio of business so broad and knowing it's
0: incredible,
1: incredible, incredible.
0: It's really incredible. And I know it's uh, for for those of us who remember when GE was literally one of the I don't know top three, four, five conglomerates in the world. To see what's happened to it is just it's just shocking.
1: Yeah, it's sad. But, but at the same time, you know, his legacy is the leadership of folks all across um, all levels, you know, from private equity back to, to Boeing. Uh, that leadership and that training is a legacy.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, like they do this in the NFL. They'll, they'll show this, you know, uh, great coach and then they do the branching tree, you know, down of all the like assistants that went off and did something that would be if anyone listening, that would be cool. If we could somehow figure out you know how many CEOs used to be you know whatever uh, a VP somewhere in one of his one of his systems yeah. so I, I noticed one thing about you um, is, is I guess this is my final question um, you got any you got any tough mutters coming up <laughs> you know i probably should take that off my linkedin oh, i retired a couple of years ago jeff jeff <laughs> you're doing soft we're doing soft mutters now we're busy <laughs> oh boy yeah i got caught on that one i gotta go change that oh no <laughs> that's all right i mean look um so what so i guess indoor i said when it's in the winter i guess there are no tough mutters i guess it's just uh hit the trainer I, uh yeah hit the, that's uh, right That's a gym. Is is there anything, Jeff, that uh, I didn't ask today that you that you hope to uh, kind of put out there for folks?
1: I'd say the one thing that, uh, you know, we're all struggling with it. There's articles everywhere is, you know, people working from home, number one. And then, you know, people uh, are much more choosy about where they want to work. So, you know, working from home, there's all those articles about that. There's different points of view. We've had to do that. We've got, we've hired, we must hire 80 executives or managers or directors that no longer live in Minneapolis over the last couple of years. And so we have to be very purposeful about getting people together to really, you know, build upon our culture, which is critical for us, which leads to the second comment is that, you know, CEOs, executives, especially chief people officers have really got to be very thoughtful about defining your culture What do you expect out of leaders, and then how do you get people together to learn from each other within that culture? What that does is creates, in my opinion, um, something that fits for each company, and it helps you zero in on hiring properly so that you can retain your folks and develop them. Um, I think in this, um, regardless of whether it's uh, in a restaurant, in manufacturing, a service organization with people working away from home, that, that connection to the company can easily be,
0: you know, people can feel like they're a free agent constantly and you gotta fix it. Not only would they, could they possibly feel severed, they may never actually feel connected in the first place. And I, right. I think that's the fear honestly is, well, I think there's many layers to that whole work from home issue. And I, I think you, you touched on it, you know, the chief people officer, You've got to. You've got to have a strong people culture. You've got to, You do have to have metrics. You do have to have structure. Uh, you have to trust. But of course, the philosophy that we always hear is, um, you know, be slow to hire and quick to fire. You just can't afford to have, you know, the wrong people in those critical positions. Can't. There's a long tail to hiring a bad manager. No doubt about it. Yes, there is, and I live that. That is my day job. I absolutely do, Jeff. Great insight. Great insight. And uh, yeah, next time you have your strategic uh, meetings, let me know. I'll pop in see if I can add <laughs> something. I think you're already there. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just include me. Um, this is great. So we'll have to have another follow up sometime and see uh, see how QSR is evolving and see what is new. Love to Tony. I really appreciate the conversation. Enjoy. Well, uh, likewise, Jeff. Thanks. For, thanks for being here today.